is Film Center. Your number one show for real entertainment industry news. No fluff, all facts. Now, here are your anchors, Derek Johnson II and Nicholas Killian. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Film Center, your number one place for studio news. My name's Derek Johnson II. I'm Nicholas Killian. And today we have a special guest. We're here with... Elliot Gordon. Elliot, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing good, man. Glad to be here. So, let me ask you uh, a question, Elliot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for our fans who might not know, what? how would you describe... Elliot does so much stuff. <laughs> Elliot is a renaissance man. So, I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not going to describe you. For, how, how would you describe your, your, your work to the audience? Uh, I mean, I'm kind of just a jack of all trades type of nerd. I find video games equally fascinating as Rubik's Cubes and like then delving into the entire evolutionary biology of crabs and not crabs. He's that kind of writer. That's what. <laughs> <laughs> and you find inspiration crab. from crabs. Oh, absolutely! Like crabs the are... like the entire biology of crustaceans and insects as kind of like living hu- cyborgs of Earth. Why? Why do so many animals evolve into crabs? Uh, because they're kind of an ideal aquatic life body, and it just kind of keeps happening as convergent evolution. A lot. I, I read about this. Like a lot of them are converging into crabs. But today we're not going to talk about crabs. What? <laughs> no. Yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, um, oh, and by the way, as you know, Film Scenario One is uh, is on the road. Um, and today we are recording at uh, Elliot's place. Yes. Uh, currently, he has he lives his at dog. Currently, <laughs> 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 he has his, uh, a dog Charlie in his lap, so you might hear uh, Charlie. She is happily snoring, but that's good because that means she's not going to be barking and giving us any other concerns. Yeah, she seems uh, uh, quite content in your lap. Mm -hmm. So um, today we're talking a little bit about, I I don't even want to say, I hesitate to say post-writer strike because in actuality, they didn't really get everything that they wanted and it's still kind of tentative. But as you know, um, the uh, SAG actors are about to meet again with um, you know, some producers, they finally passed the 100 days. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, Elliot also works in the industry as well. We always want to bring in outside perspectives. Has it being post... I, I don't want to say post-strike. I'll say, I'll say, I'll say it's one of the temporary truths. Would you say, was, is that, is that, is that accurate? Um, I'd say for the writer strike, it's post-strike. Most of it has been ratified, at least to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. And my job is completely back to normal, as if we've moved past the strike. So, um, we, as we've said previously on the show, we cannot talk about everything because of NDAs. But Elliot does work on a show that we got back afterwards. Yes. Right. So, um, I mean, what was it like to be on that hiatus for so long? Uh, it was, oh, it was miserable. Mm-hmm. Um you're sitting there kind of in the beginning i thought all right maybe this will last like a few weeks it's just like an unpaid vacation but then those weeks turned into several months yeah and it turned into a very depressing summer of sorts you know like i'm applying to a bunch of different jobs just to make some extra money Mm. i i worked on a few student thesis films because that was the only thing being made and made a little bit of money doing that 
But I remember just even for basic jobs, like I applied to Universal, the theme park, and the Six Flags, not even they would hire me. You know what's crazy? Because like a lot of a lot of people went straight to the theme parks. Usually, it's the easiest, uh, one of the easier jobs to get. Mm. As someone who used to work for Universal and their theme parks, it shows better than Disney. I always liked <laughs> when I was younger. Yeah. I was both Disney and Universal. I loved working at Universal just because like. You, on your lunch break, you can technically go get a beer and then go back to work. <laughs> <laughs> that makes the job way more tolerable. <laughs> so now, now, Elliot, I would have a question for you. With your job being on hiatus, were you checking for daily updates? Were you checking for, like, what was that like for you day to day? Were you guys, were you on standby with your, uh, with the production company? Were you on... Like, well, talk to me about what the weekly or daily life was like. Like, yeah, I mean, how did when, you even know that you were still employed? Yeah, when the strike first happened, um, they gave us the information, you know, that like, you know, the show's gonna go dark. Um, but the moment the show is that's back, why I said it go dark. Well, that's like the industry term. Like the show, show has gone tar- <laughs> gone dark. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, but but they said you know once the show returns, everyone can come back mm-hmm. in their positions. No one's job was ever supposedly compromised, as far as I knew. Apart mm-hmm. from we didn't have a return date, and you know no one knew. Everyone everything yeah. was just speculative. That's as far as, like, really, you know, there wasn't any info to go off of. Everyone was just kind of, you know, keeping their fingers crossed, hoping for a quick solution that did not happen. So Um, it was just radio silence until you came back? uh, Of sorts. We sometimes had small updates, and, you know, we kept in touch as co-workers yeah of course so, yeah did no, you ever hang out with your co-workers yeah yeah, yeah plenty of times we would meet up for drinks before it started getting really expensive to keep meeting up for drinks because <laughs> while you're unemployed exactly so you know we had being forced into being hyper frugal is never fun yeah um but it was also kind of humbling in a sense to be way more careful with every finance but also you know just going grocery shopping became a very soul destroying activity mm-hmm. since it's still everything is just such a heavy expense in the city and oh, right. Los Angeles yeah well, but I, but I think the big expensive. the biggest fear though for me will forever be just that kind of nihilist view like this is just never ending it just mm-hmm. felt like you know the negotiations kept getting postponed. They weren't returning to the table. And it just felt like they were not interested in ever meeting the demands of the writers. And, you know, the agreement they ended up getting, I'm very happy that they got. Mm-hmm. You can't always expect them to get everything. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that it sets a precedent for even lower level employees like myself to eventually be able to have better negotiating power for future jobs because mm-hmm. that's something I think frustrated me about the strike was I mean to be fair you 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 got this job um, I don't want to say recently exactly but it's, it is it is it is like you haven't been there for years no this is right. my second year right it's your second year you know what I'm saying and so you know when you found somewhere like you feel like is your production home 
it feels like you know because it's such a big part of your life yeah and just to have it taken away and you're like i don't even know when this is coming back that must have felt crazy it felt crazy but i think what many especially lower tiered employees like myself were feeling was that you know we supported the strike on principle and empathized with all the demands of the writers i think it was that we felt involuntarily conscripted into the strike since everyone's work got shut down and we have gained nothing from it yeah you know we're still like pas are generally non-union we don't have a lot of salary negotiating power because our positions are easily you know they remind us how easily replaceable we are all the time you know i I'm, felt really bad especially when because me and me and nicholas we went to the marches right around, yeah but, me too but then me and nicholas because we're on the radio we weren't really mm-hmm. affected as much by the strikes you know so it's like weird because you like you you do like you know we support the strikes we believe in them and things like that but then again we're not being directly affected by it like right like, yeah. like you are so now that you're now that you're back um has there been like any major change or is it just like back to normal like everyone acting like it never happened or i mean i don't think anyone's acting like it never happened i think everyone's just very excited to be back mm-hmm. um i sure as hell am <laughs> you know I'm, I'm very very pleased to just be back to my job because this is the one time I, in my life I've ever can say I love my job. Yeah, and that's incredible. Yeah, and in the the entertainment industry, that's a very rare thing where most people will have many stories of working for very unpleasant people. But I have nothing negative to say about the show I work on or the crew I work with. Everyone is amazing. Mm-hmm. And... I'm very grateful for that. So that's why I was especially ecstatic to be able to return to work because they are fun to work with and work for. It's a great team Mm. and everyone is treated with so much respect. And it was like very sad to not be able to participate in that for so long. But now we can again. Oh, before we get too far again. uh, (laughs) Also, you want to tell everyone uh, where you're from? Oh, okay. Um, Yeah originally yeah, I'm you don't from... get to be a mystery sir not on, <laughs> not on, not on this show not on okay. this show <laughs> well what if i make up a mystery backstory well now everyone's gonna know oh. right now now, now you... <laughs> you could you could have done that i could i, could I probably have. wouldn't have even said anything like, oh, cool. i didn't know he was from Dragonland. that's awesome <laughs> okay he's from Sven. from Sven. yeah <laughs> the, the mythological creature of Sven. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, it's kind of close to where I'm from. I'm, a, I'm originally from, from Sweden, mm. but I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area for the majority of my life since I was nine. You at uh, Oakland, right? Yep. Yeah. Great me, place. Did you, uh, did you always, did, like, a lot of people have a lot of negative things to say about San Francisco, but then I always hear people from Oakland, they're like, eh, it's all right. I have, I mean, it's not like L.A. is any less trashy or capable <laughs> capable of being trashy you know san francisco and oakland have a lot of issues as well but i love going there and i loved growing up there mm. so to any haters of the bay area 
no. <laughs> you, you don't know what you're talking about. I wouldn't live in LA if it wasn't for the industry. Like, I would happily, if I could afford to live in Oakland and just fly uh, from Southwest from Oakland to Burbank. Just like every, day? every day? Every day. Every day? I would rather <laughs> do that. It's an hour flight. You're not losing any time compared to LA traffic. That's true. So, what would you say is the difference between the Bay Area and um, Los Angeles? I heard there's a huge difference. Uh, it, it kind of, it's hard to say in the Bay, everything is a little more chill and laid back. There's just a lot more of a vibe where everyone's more inclusive and, you know, more like, like relaxed. Yeah. they like, imagine like a couch potato and you come home and they're like, Hey, welcome, sit down. While in LA, every time you meet someone new, they can present themselves as very friendly, but and this is like you know most people in LA work in entertainment, mm-hmm. and I definitely feel like here they they're always sizing you up. Yes, every person that you meet um, is it seems like every time you meet them, instead of them being hey how are you doing, it's just like well how can I position myself <laughs> exactly to, to get what this person has or to in some way get his contact information so that I can leverage him leverage him and infiltrate what he has so I can get that stuff yeah and I, and I think the problem is they're most people are really bad at it <laughs> because yeah. they're like they're always like I would I would much rather respect someone who's just mask off like how can I use you yeah. and just like talk shop with me because I'm like okay let's use each other I'm fine with that yeah up like, front you know just being honest about yeah like yeah. If, if if I see that this person has something I want mm. I'm not going to be rude to them, but I'd say just, like... You could just ask. I don't know. What is wrong exactly. with people being like, hey, I see that you're really great at this. Let's work together. People don't like to do that. And I was like, oh, oh, how can I use that? They, they, like, they want to meet up for drinks five different times before they set up, give the the manipulative like one-liner. Yes. <laughs> and I'm like... Bitch you. And I'm like, I, I don't need to have wasted like over $150 on small talk that's going to lead to nothing just for you to pitch something at me or see what you can get out of me. Oh my gosh, um, that happens so often. Yeah. What do, do you have any do you have any specific examples that were particularly bad? Uh I think at my first job that I had where I worked a lot more in management and talent representation mm-hmm. and so I dealt with a lot of assistance from other managers and agencies. And, you know, they always want to, like, let's schedule drinks, even though we're all overworked. And I was like, the last thing I'd want to do after a 12-hour day sitting behind a desk at the office. Go get hammered. Yeah, like, I just wanted to. you specifically. Right. Yeah, like, I just didn't want to do that. Like, I'm I'm a pretty social person, but I also Mm. run out of steam eventually. And at that job, I ran out of steam every night. But I forced myself to network. It's the worst word. Okay, so... Everyone has a place where they're like, oh, this is my go-to place when I want to network with someone. And everyone has a go-to place where it's like, I'm here because we're actually friends. Where is your networking place? Uh, I rarely pick the spot because I don't care. (laughs) That is, I... 
<laughs> like that, that I and I want them to know that like that's how little effort I'm putting into this fake meeting. Yeah. That like some uh, like and I I sometimes went into them definitely with probably the wrong attitude, which I do regret. I wish mm. like you should never just be rude in that situation, but I definitely felt with some people it's like I get that you're, you know, we're all new here. We're just trying to get to know people, but it just sometimes felt so forced that I was just not really putting the effort into the conversation. I would happily cancel on a lot of events all the time just because I was just, I did not feel like going. Mm-hmm. And Because it, it seems so forced. It seems so like, I, it, I would respect, like you said, I would respect you so much more if you said, this is what I have, this is what you have, what can I do for you so that you can do for me? Yeah. And... Sometimes we had those types of conversation and it led to like some good cooperative partnerships and just exchanging ideas or just getting to know someone who had insider knowledge on one aspect of the industry that I might not be very know the jargon of, which was always just useful, but also just making friends in different places so you can kind of learn what they do mm-hmm. and they want to learn what you do. But sometimes you could just see like they were sometimes asking way too many invasive questions, mainly about your job, mainly about the people you work with. Yeah. (laughs) But they they really wanted to try to tap in. What's the address? What's the passcode to get into the back door of the Yeah, but they'd be like, what chips do you eat at work? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Is it Ruffles? Is it Gateways? I mean, because we've all seen in like movies about entertainment like you'll have two executives on the phone and they're very polite and then they hang up and then they're like i hate him yeah so that happened all the time at many of the jobs i had Mm -hmm. and i felt like sometimes other assistants would try to be like playing investigative journalist for their boss to try to figure out who they're all spies yeah like they're trying to figure out for man like i i I, when i saw the for some have you seen the offer no, I have not. Uh, the show, the offer is about the uh, the making of the Godfather. Right, and, right. Uh, 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 I think Teller's in that. Miles Teller. Miles Teller. Yes, yes. yes he does a, a fantastic job. Um, I remember watching it and being like, even though this is supposedly decades ago, I feel it because like his people who work under him are always telling on somebody else. They're always trying to point it out. And then I don't know. After I saw that show, I was just like. I was like hyper aware of other people doing it. It was so weird. It's like you know when you're playing punch buggy. There's, there's you haven't seen a punch buggy all day, but as soon as you start playing punch buggy, there's like fifty five punch buggies. It's like everyone has a punch buggy. <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah. if when you're alert and you feel a little bit of that paranoia, it's mm-hmm. kind of like I felt the same whenever I was an intern in college at any place. I always wanted to be. Like, I, I hustled a lot. I wanted to be there, like, with every executive that came in the office, like, hey, do you want some coffee? Do you want some coffee? Hi, how about you? Would you like even more coffee? I can fill up the entire fridge with more coffee. Oh, look, I just cleaned I can the inject you fridge. with coffee. Yeah. Right, put it in the IV. <laughs> I mean, you drink that much coffee anyway, so you might as well have a coffee IV. Right. I, can make, I can make that happen. Right. Um, but because I always felt like, you know, they tell you the difference between a good intern and a bad intern is the one who brings them their coffee at the right time and make you want to be the one that makes them smile. Yeah. And and they're like they're teaching you this in university film classes, especially like in really 
Yeah, this was, my university had an LA program, Uh which I really enjoyed. It was my final semester of college, and you go to your internship during the day, and then you have night classes. Oh. So, like, I like that you actually apply yourself during the day, and I got to meet some cool people and intern for some cool studios. But I definitely found sometimes that the way that we had guest speakers come and talk to us about, like, how to move up and how to be a good lower-tier employee, Mm -hmm. and... Some of the things they said really bothered me because it was like they were proudly justifying the very shady type of hiring practices that um, newcomers yeah. into the industry have to go through when they first arrive here. Like I, had, I tell a lot of people when they um, when they first get here, I'm like, all of those, you will see a whole bunch of entertainment jobs all over job boards, and it's like, oh. These must be super easy to get. They're on Indeed. They're on ZipRecruiter. No, they legally have to put those up because they used to not even uh, advertise right. entertainment mm-hmm. jobs until those the government was slots. like, hey, you can't do that. You have to <laughs> You have to advertise. So, um, so well, you're, uh, you're also a writer. Mm-hmm. And uh, have you found that since working where you work, has it been... Uh, being around so many creative people, has that really helped your juices flow? Uh, in some ways, yes. Um, seeing how the writers at the show I work on, how they function, what they do, they're all really, really friendly um, when I meet them. Mm-hmm. And so kind of seeing their job process and seeing in general what's expected when you're a staff writer on a show, no matter if it's a comedy show, a drama, or like a comedy show or like a non-scripted show. Yeah, like a live show. Yeah, and you kind of see the different types of approaches that the writers apply. And as an aspiring writer, Mm -hmm. it it is very valuable to see. Mm -hmm. I think it also, like when I look back at the internships I had as well, where I did a lot of script coverage, that's Mm kind of where I perfected my own story analysis kind of strategy and seeing how I personally experience a story, Mm -hmm. what stands out to me and where I think the flaws are. Cause I was always very harsh when I did script coverage, but I figured I might as well be cause we should have that standard. Everyone should get really, I I, I don't want to say harsh notes. Those aren't, those aren't the, the goal. The goal is like helpful notes but it's usually the most helpful notes that are the harshest. Yeah. Right. And then, um, so you said that you did a lot of, uh, it seemed like when you were talking that you did a lot of internships. Mm-hmm. How um, how did you end up um, choosing the place that you did? Or did it um, choose you? Or did it choose you? <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. One of the, my first ever internship was a friend of a friend i had contacted a family friend who ran an advertising business Mm -hmm. and he said well sure you can come intern for us but what good would that do you you want to work in film so he called up so he (laughs) so he sent me the contact info of some film people he's worked with since he works in advertising Mm -hmm. um that's how i got my first one they were very cool the other ones i was but if you guys listen he reached out you, you gotta reach saying? out. You gotta, you gotta reach out. <laughs> if you're not reaching out, you're not contacting people. You're staying stagnant. You will 
we talked about this all the time on the show. You have to keep pushing. You have to keep uh, uh, producing. You have to. You have to be okay with knowing that you are going to annoy people. Mm-hmm. You cannot be afraid of calling strangers on the phone, even ev- though everyone, you know, millennial and Gen Z is afraid of calling people. Yeah, and, so what is going on with that? I mean, I think it's just because it's much easier to just send a text and be done with it. The, like, because, I mean, being from the South, like, everybody talks on the phone. Like, everybody yeah. talks on the phone. People possibly for too long. Possibly, <laughs> possibly for too long. Nobody really likes sending text messages. But when I got out here to L.A., nobody likes to talk on the phone. Nobody. For any amount of reason. And they, especially if they do talk on the phone, they definitely don't want to talk for an extended period of time. No, they want to like get to the point of, why am I calling you? Bye. I, I, have, I have a very bad habit of calling people like while I'm driving because I just use my car phone. Yeah, but, but I, that's what I do as well. It's a perfect time to dr- call people in L.A. when you're stuck in traffic. Yeah, I mean, that's what I, cause that's what I used to do down in South. But then when I come over here to Los Angeles, I was like, okay, cool. You know what? Text me then. Well, I'm talking to you right now. Why and would also, I, why would yes, I drive? What the? Why? <laughs> why would I text you while I'm driving? So, I, and the reason why I say it's a bad habit is because I keep calling the people who know they're who I just know. They're like, oh, cool, text me, man. No, that's why I'm calling. So I won't have to do it. I don't like to text. <laughs> no. I like to talk to people. I do too, and I think like sometimes. I do not pick if if someone calls me and I'm not in the mood to pick up the phone. I'm not going to pick up the phone right, unless it's not every time, right. I mean unless it's like I assume it could be important. Mm-hmm. But right. but most of the time, like I don't get offended if someone doesn't pick up. I normally can just call my friends and be like, "How you doing?" And a few of them who are now used to me calling them, they are okay with it. But other times, some friends are like, "Do you need anything?" And I'm like. I'm just saying hi, and they're like, "What do you need from me? Can yeah. I can I just check on you? Like, can yeah, I just like see how you're doing. It's is, like, what is the deal with the devil? I can't say hi. Yeah, they're like, oh, uh, yeah, I'm cool. Um, can I, like, can we? Can you text me if you need anything? Uh, like, bye. you just made it weird now. Yeah, like, like I was calling casually to see how you were doing, and all you had to do was just, yeah, man, I'm doing pretty well, you know, today. You know, I kind of got stuck in a little bit of traffic. Um, and then that's all you had to do. But now that you made it weird, now we can't have the conversation I wanted to have. Yeah. I mean, actually, I'm going to take back that advice of being comfortable and fun. Stay uncomfortable. That way we'll just get promoted instead. Right. Won't get replaced <laughs> by people who get brave enough to just call <laughs> someone on the phone. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember one of my f- proudest phone experiences was at one job. Mm. I had where we were trying to get a client to a convention in France mm. and the convention organizers were really bad at organizing travel. My boss didn't realize that I spoke French. So I kind of went French Karen on French Karen. on the event organizers because they were just being really difficult. Yeah. And How many so, languages do you speak? You usually, I know at least three that you speak. Yeah, so I mean, I speak Swedish and English fluently and I'm... Yeah pretty good at communicating in French, but it is still really hard for me to understand because they just speak so fast. Yeah. But I can express myself in French really, really well. Do you know any other languages? 
I mean, I'm studying Spanish now since my wife speaks Spanish. It's probably good to know. Yeah. It's probably, <laughs> probably, probably a good probably, idea. Probably good idea. One question I would ask you, and this is really pervasive throughout the industry, is when it, it sounded like when you were talking about being an intern, it was basically that they were, they were talking to you about how to be a better servant. Yeah. So now that you've gotten... Um, I wouldn't say very high up, but you're a lot higher than a lot of people in Los Angeles. What would you, like, can you speak to that service? Hey, what he's asking is, does it get better? Uh, yeah, but you, <laughs> it's, it's, it's. That was not a very convincing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, it, but it, it's such a hard question to answer because there's no such thing as, no matter how famous you get or successful you get in this industry, there's no such thing as job security. Well, um, I, I will. And I, and I mean, I had, I, I was lucky enough to have coffee once with the former showrunner of King of the Hill. Oh, that must have been fun. Yeah, he was very, awesome. very friendly and lovely to talk to. But he told me that, you know, he's been on top. And then once the show is over, he's like, oh, now what? Now, yeah. now it's like you're back to point zero. So whenever the show I'm currently working on, whenever that ends and who knows when that will end, you never know when the producer can just be like, show's over. And like that, you never know when life is going to hit you like distracted. Yeah, exactly. So, so I, I, you know, but you're, but this is, you're currently working a job that you're a lot more comfortable with. It's the, yeah. Would you say it's your, your, um, the favorite one you've got so far? Best job I've ever had in my life. So, um, so yes, how, it got better from the older jobs I did have. So that's, that's what I'm saying. It got better from that perspective. You yeah. found somewhere where like, you feel like you fit. Yeah, and I think the most important thing, and this is another generational thing that I think people our age have a lot of issue with, is that when you're in a job that's not good and you feel very stuck and you feel like every day is just going very slowly and you have nothing to show for it, mm. that's how I felt at my first job out of college. But they're the lower jobs. Yeah, but it was then now looking back at it, it was 10 months out of my life. Mm. They were rough, but you get through it, and then you move. You don't have a choice. Yeah, you don't. But but sometimes (laughs) you have two options: you can either not go through it or just drop dead. Like you can. I mean, you can quit if it is really bad, and no one should stay in a job that's abusive. Luckily, I've never had. I've never had that. Never, never. But I, I think sometimes you have to stick it out. not for the sake of doing the best job possible, but you also, when you're in that state where you really want to give up, mm. then just push yourself a little bit further because the day you decide that you're going to leave, it's you walk in the office and it's not as bad as you remember it being. And I think it's the same as when you're in school and freaking out over a huge exam that you think is going to define your life forever, but then once the exam is over, you're never going to think about it again. Exactly. So apply that mentality to any bad job you have. It will not be forever. You're not a prisoner there and you but you have to be patient through it because you got it'll keep you humble instead of if you're lucky enough to get a great job from the beginning hey hats off to you good job but 
everyone who has worked the worst job, you know, in the end, I'm not going to say it's good for you and makes you a better person, but the whole character building thing. Yeah. But having some humility just makes you treat other people better. Cause you know, you don't want to ever be as mean or harsh or unreasonable to anyone. Like maybe you had been to, Right, like if someone like had acted like that to you, you that way. yeah. So I'm grateful for the lessons I learned at that really tough job I had. Yeah, and then me and Nicholas are are, are blessed enough to to do this, right? You know, to do this radio show, and, it, and it's and it's a lot of fun. Um, so you know, Alec, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Um, is there anything that you would like to uh, to plug? Uh, I can't because because I, I just thought about that as I was saying it. You yeah. can't really say anything. I can't really say anything right <laughs> so now. How, um, how, do you have any advice that maybe you would give? Well, for I I can, I can actually plug one thing. because oh. um, my wife and some friends of ours are starting to put together some creative ideas, and we're gonna start filming some small sketches. And I can give a preview that one of the ones we're going to be making in the hopefully near future is going to be a philosophical discussion between a Swedish and an Italian meatball. A Swedish Swedish and an Italian meatball. You you guys are going to be debating who's better? Among other things. (laughs) Oh, see, look, he can't talk about it. Well, guys, this has been Film Center. I'm Derek Johnson II. I'm Nicholas Killian. I'm Elliot Gordon. And we'll talk to you next time. See ya. This has been Film Center on Comic-Con Radio. Check out our previous episodes at filmcenternews.com. Sign up for our newsletter and get the Hollywood trade straight to you. You can follow the show at Film Center News on all major platforms. Tune in next week for a fresh update. Until next time, this has been Film Center. Film Center.